0: That's how I kind of wanted to get into property because I saw that what the property, how it had affected my father's life and how I wanted to in some ways educate people to try and show them A, how to make money but hopefully B, not to lose it. The whole depreciation thing that I do is helping people make their life more affordable.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Joran Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Tyron Hyde, the CEO of Coin Company, Washington Brown. He shares his incredible backstory that will make you feel every emotion under the sun. But don't worry, he has a silver lining for everything. Whether you find him in Bali or in Sydney, Hyde radiates hope and happiness each and every day. Hyde has lived a life full of ups and downs, though with his sunny disposition, he manages to see the good in every situation. After a disjointed childhood and some tragic losses, he put his natural talent to work and is now reaping the benefits. As Washington Brown's CEO and a loving family man, Hyde has created the life he always dreamed of.
0: I've got a beautiful family, my wife uh, Sandy um, and my beautiful daughter Taylor, that's probably my proudest part. I've travelled the world, we've just come back from living in Bali for two years, running the business remotely over there. Washer Brown's got about 40 staff now doing depreciation work, so we've got a really happy life, to be honest, Tyrone. It's pretty eventful and fruitful and rewarding, and I'm just really in a happy space at the moment, to be honest.
1: His wife has recently released a book detailing their unique travels.
0: Called Our Green Change. It's about our journey from Sydney to to Bali to take our daughter to the world's greenest school, which is this big bamboo school in the jungle in a wood. Um, it's got no walls, no aircon, drop toilets, and it was a fascinating experience. And the school focuses on environmentalism and entrepreneurialism. And so, like, 400 people from around the world go there. And I found myself running Washington Brown from this. Bali jungle school most of our staff are remote so before we went to to Bali, I, I put in a management structure to enable to you know to pack up and run a medium-sized business from remotely especially one that's involved in hands-on inspecting properties it's not as though i'm the digital nomad right we talked about doing doing a big change for you know a, a long time my wife's you know telling background but the time zone there is not really realistic to to do that and then She was reading this article in the paper about the green school and she said would you go and live in bali for a couple of years i'm like "Hmm, no maybe that could work
1: he put in a management structure to organize that with a head of sales head of marketing and so on in the end it worked out so well that he believes the company runs better without him
0: they stepped up which was fantastic and now it's, it's running like that it's still it's continued i didn't change the structure when i got back i just focused on the more of the you know, running, doing these type of things, which I find more interesting, but also, not more interesting, but they run the business better. You, you know, I work on the business, not in it as much, you know, which is the goal of, I think, any entrepreneur. Dale Bowman, I think someone, someone like I saw I, on stage once I saw when I was young and they said, they said something like, if you've got to work in your business, if you've got to go into your office every day from 7 till 9, you don't have a business, you've got a job. And, and he said, I don't want a job, I want a business. And so the true test of a business, if you ask me, is if you can work remotely travel around the world and still continue to do that business you know and and have other people doing it that's a business that's that's also a saleable business because if someone wants to buy your business they don't want to come in and have to work 12 hours a day do they they want to have a business that's running regardless of whether the owner is there it's not always that easy to do of course you know it's not that easy but that is the goal
1: The Hyde family hadn't heard of the green school before coming across it and enrolling their daughter, but it spoke to them straight away.
0: She read an article in The Good Weekend. There was, this, there was an article in The Good Weekend of City Mor- in the City Morning Herald uh, about this green school where, you know, I think it said something like this, this not hippie school, but the, where, where men go there with men men, funds men and stuff like that. Um, and so it was the education. Education was uh, part of the key as well. Like we've got a daughter that's very focused on study we thought well maybe it is it's not a bad idea to have her exposed to a different kind of education system um, before she gets into high school so we're always going to come back for high school um, but the education system there there's not it's not the focus is not on tests the focus is on the love of learning get the child to love learning and also to love the environment so that hopefully by the time they become 18 or 17 year olds they become warriors for the environment as well but it's not a bunch of well, I went there thinking, oh, this is going to be a bunch of you know tree hugging hippies, right? It was a complete opposite. It was a complete opposite. Most of it, they, I think, maybe when it started ten years ago, that was what it was. But now there's a lot more. Um, Everyone still loves. There's more of a focus on the environment, but there's a lot of very clever switch on people that have done incredibly well that now wanted to change, like like I guess we we were like, and, and also um, had wanted to be involved in the, the child's um, studies. Because half the school stays at the school during the day. Half, sorry, half the parents stay at the school during the day. There's no drop-off. Here you go. Um, you're not allowed into the school. They've actually created a a green school for adults there, which we love. So we're learning every day. You could go to this thing called the bridge. So there's a little kind of like like a like an, a workplace, but like a for, for adults. And every day they'd have these fantastic talks, whether it be um, an environmentalist, whether it be how to buy property in Bali, whether it be uh, someone who's who's an activist or whether, uh, you know, it's incredibly, like Jacques, Jacques Cousteau's granddaughter came and gave a talk um, on the bit, which is fascinating. And so, you know, Michael Franti's the patron of the school. I don't know if you know Michael Franti, but he's, a, he's a, a hugely famous singer. Um, so, yeah, no, it's very, very different, very different to here where we drop off our daughter and we can't go in and see her and and do anything like that. They encourage you to to be there and be involved in the school. Some would say that maybe too much, like sometimes the politics, I guess, with having so much involvement is hard for the school to manage, but at least you're involved.
1: The school environment looks and feels very different to how it does in Australia, and by the sounds of it, it may have a different aroma as well.
0: They have cows, sorry, horses, cows, and they have like um, rabbits and... And um, they they they, they encourage the fact that, that music and, and gardening is as important to child's development as maths and ink. And we thought that maybe when we got back to the traditional learning here, she would be kind of you know not not didn't keep up. It's the complete opposite. She just was she just became ducks of her year and year eight years. So it didn't actually hinder it didn't hinder her, her growth, which was which was, um, which was great. So one of the projects she um, they have like one of the. St- the difference is they have like green studies there, and so they encourage kids to pitch a pitch a project. And she pitched, she made a a, a rain jacket, a raincoat made of recycled plastic, right? <laughs> Which was <is, laughs> like it took yeah. over to learning about how to do it, how to manufacture it, but then of all the recycled plastic. So they do some really interesting programs over there. For instance, at the end of the, the class date at three p.m. when it's it's what the local community, the kids, if they bring in um, a kilo of plastic, they get free. So, about 300 kids every day come in and learn English for free, provided they bring in plastic from the local community, the banjar. And so, the, the Westerns end here at three and then come in the local kids and learn and they teach them English.
1: We dive into Hyde's upbringing to discover how he became the businessman, husband and father he is today.
0: So, I grew up in Concord, which um, near Burwood, Stratfield area in Sydney. It, back then, it was a pretty working class um, Suburb now it's you know it's like you know million dollar homes and you know, I think the the median price is two million bucks now the thought of a, a house in Concord um, selling back when I was growing up in 1970s, um, that it makes me feel old um, is it, it's quite is it's quite bizarre but you know it's a beautiful suburb uh, the school that when we went to high school there there was a it was kind of a brand new school which was kind of really nice um, I ended up. The, uh, marrying my high school sweetheart sandy so we met at school um yeah so i grew up i had a big family um my i've got i've got three sisters so three sisters and, two, and one brother so there's five of us um you know, so yeah both working class parents you know my mom they both had to work really hard to keep you know food on the table uh my father was in the air force here for 12 years i was stationed in singapore i've actually got a I actually got a sixth brother, but he passed away when they were living in when they were stationed in Singapore. Um, I actually went and there's actually a chapter in this book, Our Green Change, where I went and tried. To, we I tracked him down, um, it was like the burial. So he's, he's in a war war memorial uh, war cemetery over there. And I was actually at a Dale Beaumont conference, a business blueprint conference. That's I it's, I've met Tyrone through that, by the way. And, and I was in Singapore. I went. I'm gonna go and try and find my brother. And I went there, and I searched. I searched for the weekend, two days. I walked up and down this cemetery in Singapore, and couldn't find him. And so I then came back to Bali, where we're living. And I rang my mum. I said, "Mum, where is he? Where, where's 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 our, our, my brother George?" And she said, "Oh, he's out the back I went, well, That doesn't help. So I contacted the uh, I contacted the London War Office, and they sent me. Up and I thought, I'm, I'm not going to get him. That. So. They sent me a map with a little star on it and said, here he is, right? And so, then next time we we're going to Singapore because we, we had to leave Bali every two months for the visa reason. So, some, you just go to Singapore sometimes and come back. Um, and we went there on a search to find my brother and we found him and it was kind of, of emotional to be honest.
1: The tragic story always has him putting himself in his mother's shoes as he imagines the devastation she must have felt.
0: Yeah, I think he was six weeks old. Uh, it wasn't cot death, but he had some virus that kind of killed him. So it was just, it was devastating for my mother because you know she was in a foreign country. Imagine Singapore in nineteen, I think it was nineteen fifty eight or something like that. I can't I can't remember the exact year, but it would have been pretty harrowing to have a uh, have a, a child that's six weeks old, your first child as well. Um, she told me a story once where she was. Running down the streets with him in his arms, "Oh, my baby's dead! My baby's dead!" I was pretty, pretty teary. My older sister now, so I'm fifty-two. My oldest sister is about sixty-five, and George would have been older, so he would have been about 67, 68 now, which is quite a weird weird to have a sixty-eight-year-old brother. I've got a nephew, so I'm for, I'm fifty-two, and I've got a nephew who's forty-three. So when I was I was I was an uncle at the age of nine, <laughs> which is a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs>
1: The Hyde family is certainly a unique one, filled with interesting characters and the story packed with endless twists and turns.
0: But we did move around a little bit because what happened was my house burnt down when I was thirteen or fourteen, burnt to the smithereens. Um, all the trophies were gone and it was um we came back and I was, I remember driving down Bird Road and there was all these fire inches. I'm like, I could see them like a mile away, and it was like big flames. we drive up the road and as you got closer you go it's getting like oh, oh no, and so we had to move around because they had to rebuild the house, and um, they put us in different houses around. So and then what, we moved to Homebush and um, Strathfield, so around that area. But I still we were still going back to Concord High, and then my parents got divorced, and so then I was going through to different houses there and stuff. So a little bit of moving around, a bit of disruption in my childhood.
1: Longer adversity.
0: Just out of curiosity, do you know what happened
1: with the house? How did it get burnt down, or did they give you a cause behind that?
0: Never found out, actually. Well, back then it was a timber house, so I don't think it would have taken much. It was like uh, it wasn't like the fire regulations that were 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 here now, you know. So yeah, it was, uh, it, was it was I reckon it could have been just like a uh, a little spark. It's such a such a um, uh, easy place to, burn to 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 to, to uh, go up in smoke. I think. But it's the funny thing, they built got this new house, and I preferred the old one.
1: Coming up after the break, he shares the gut-wrenching truth of what brought him home.
0: The reason that we came back from Bali is because when COVID hit, um, uh, we're like, well, my mum's really old.
1: The reason why tight regulations aren't the worst thing in the world.
0: I guess it's pretty safe. It's the Commonwealth and NZ. We've got different regulations here which are which are very comforting.
1: He takes us on a journey from his early travels as bright-eyed and bushy-tailed 20-something.
0: And so I took off and I, I worked for six months, saved up, and then I backpacked for about two years.
1: And that's next. I'm Taran Sharma and you're listening to Property Invest Story. Looking to save money on your taxes and maximize your property investment returns? Look no further than Washington Brown, Australia's leading tax depreciation specialist. Their team of experienced professionals can help you claim the maximum depreciation deductions on your investment property, ensuring you save thousands of dollars on your tax bill each year. Plus, with over 40 years of experience in the industry you can trust them to provide expert advice and guidance with every step of the way. Contact Washington Brown today to see how they can help you save big on your taxes and boost your property investment returns. Simply visit WashingtonBrown.com.au. Plus, if you order a Depreciation Schedule and mention Property Investory, you get a special offer from Tyrone Hyde who will send you a signed copy of his book, Keep Claiming It. Hyde continues to tell the story of his childhood family and explains how it all brought him to where he and his own family are now.
0: The reason that we came back from Bali is because when COVID hit, um, we are like, well, my mum's really old. And we came back and she was in a nursing home at the time, so she actually passed away during COVID. So um, she didn't get COVID, but I'm sure with with that many siblings and granddaughters and grandkids, she she died of loneliness if you ask me because she couldn't visit her during COVID. you're right so we came back for her but then when we got with the nursing home we couldn't see her anyway the only one of the only times i saw her was about you know 10 meters away we hi Mum, hi Mum. so so that was sad um yeah but i guess the only, the only thing good about that was that we did make the right decision to come back because we didn't if we was if i was stuck over there and couldn't get into the country for a funeral for my mom i would have been more i i would have been mortified so um and we kind of got a little bit not lucky but when she passed away, she was in a little spot where we could actually have like 40 people at the funeral like, at, you know, spaced out. Like it wasn't one of those funerals where it was only like, you know, heartbreaking where only four people could go. We could have like just immediate family. So, you know, that was one thing but...
1: His father passed away around 20 years ago after his own share of struggles.
0: About 30. Um, he was a... He he was an incredibly smart man. My father he had like four. He, so I was in the he was in the um, air force for twelve years, and then he had like four degrees. And he was a TAFE lecturer. Um, but my, my, one of my main recollections of my father is that he he was had a stroke. So when I was about fourteen, I think he had a stroke. So for the last like sixteen years of his life, he was paralyzed on the left hand side. So so and but strokes are very different now. If you get if you ring an ambulance within four hours of having a stroke, they can give you a tablet. And most people don't have strokes anymore, right? For but back then, you—I'm you, um, not a doctor. Don't quote me on that. But I'm pretty sure pretty—I've heard that on the ABC. But uh, you don't see as many people having strokes anymore. Back back then, you see a lot—you had a lot more people having left-hand side or right-hand side strokes. And so, if you're sitting at home, this is what. It, so most of – and, and the equipment to dealing with strokes back then wasn't what it's like today. Like there, there was a lot. There'll be a lot more clothing that makes it easier to live. The shoes, like, and just even having a a knife that you. you when we bought my father a rocker knife, because you try and you try and tie your loose shoelaces up with one hand, try and put on a belt with one hand after this podcast, try and t- do your buttons up with one hand, you know, just try and the things you take for granted. Try and cut a steak with one hand. I remember one time we bought him a rocker knife, which is this knife which has a little bit at the end like a fork, so it has a not kn- like a knife and then a little like sh- shape like that, and then at the end is a f- fork type element, so he could cut his steak. And then turn around and eat it, and it was like Christmases had come at once. A little thing like that, right, was um, was amazing for him.
1: We take it for granted, isn't it? He,
0: he was incredibly smart in terms of academically, but he wasn't. He wasn't that financially. Um, uh, I guess literate. He wasn't that financially literate, like. And so he worked all his life, Tyrone, and he 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 retired after, you know, whole life working with five kids at his feet two hundred, got $250,000, I remember, around... It was about 88 um, when he retired. And he put it all into this company called Estate Mortgage, which was this non-bank lender. And I remember the ads back then. It was that we're safe as houses. We're a bank. We're investing your money into, into properties. We're safe as houses. But what they didn't tell you was they are actually putting it into development sites, right? They'll lend it to developers. And so when... Interest rates went up to seventeen percent, which was the RBA rate. That means developers were borrowing money at twenty-one percent. They went, they went broke, and all the money that they that my father had put into this fund got nullified. So he lost pretty much all his life's were all his life's earnings. Um, pretty, not well, pretty much overnight. I think he ended up. The administrators ended up giving him after three years like thirteen cents in the dollar. But I, I'm sure. It, I remember when he, when Burns Philp was the company with the administrator, and I'm sure when he used to see a letter come in from them, it was like it was just heartbreaking, as you would be after all your life and then losing everything. Um, so that's kind of where I started in property because I wanted to educate people about this, right? So I started, yeah. So he, it, it, I, I'm sure, like 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 COVID didn't kill my mother, um, loneliness did. I'm, I'm sure the heartache of him losing all his money had a part to do with his demise. There's no doubt the stress of, of that um, still it's making me really bloody teary now. It's an interesting
1: and valuable lesson for everybody to learn.
0: And one thing I'd reflect there would be a bit of um, diversification wouldn't have been a bad thing for him. You know, maybe if he put in – but, you know, the funny thing about that is now if he put it into a bank, the $250,000 would have been government guaranteed right because you've got the carrots. Character- <laughs> um i think that's what maybe some of the u.s um funds are, are thinking at the moment they put all their money in the svb bank it, it, you know maybe they should have split it up into different banks um but i guess yes that's the one key lesson that i've learned from from that is a bit of diversification don't have all your eggs into the one basket uh even in the one bank um you know i guess it's pretty safe it's the commonwealth and NZ. we've got different regulations here which are which are very comforting. Um, some people say, I was reading an article the other day where us saying Australian banks are overregulated. I'm like, nah, I'm pretty happy with their regulation. I'm good.
1: <laughs> we need this in order to keep everything safe. Imagine what happens if the bank goes under. Gosh, it'd be devastating.
0: That's how I kind of wanted to get into property because I saw that what the property, how it had, how it had affected my father's life and how I wanted to, in some ways, educate people to, to um, try and show them a, how to make money but hopefully B, not to lose it. Um, so, you know, the whole depreciation thing that I do is helping people make their life more affordable. That's what we do. Or oh, their investment property is more affordable.
1: And it helps people save money as well too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, so that's kind of how I kind of got started into property.
1: His foray into property seemed to be written in the stars as his university degree played a role as well. Like many young Australians, Though, he took time out for a break from the grind.
0: I did a degree in Construction Economics, uh, uh, UTS. Um, There's not many people do it, so I've got a degree in Construction, which is a Bachelor of Science, but majoring in Construction Economics. I did that for two years, um, and then I decided to backpack around the world, so I, like all young Aussies should, and so I took off, and I, I worked for six months, saved up, and then I backpacked for about two years. And I lived in London and travelled around Europe and Asia, um, but then I came back and and the number one thing I learned when I when I was travelling Tyrone was I don't want to work for minimum wage for the rest of my life, <laughs> right? And so so I would most people I think when they have when they take a big gap year or gap three year they come back and they don't finish they don't finish their degree. But having that ex- that experience of of um, of you know working for minimum wage. I'm like I've got to finish the degree. I need to, I need to have qualification here. I, I remember the last at uh, the last bit. I was smoking cigarettes back then. Stupid. But I, I remember I caught a tra- I caught the t- train. I, I bought a can of coke, a packet of cigarettes, and I caught the train to work. And that cost me more than I earned that day, and I went. This is it. This is. It's, it was like you know. The, it was like this is not. This, this is. This is not right. Um. So I maxed out my credit card and went off to. It was actually cheaper to go to Egypt and Turkey for the last two weeks of our of, of our journey than it was to live in London. So you know, uh, uh, living on two bucks a day in 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 Egypt, um, eating falafels, we bought like you know, as, uh, catching local trains back in nineteen eighty. 1989 or something back in, e- in Egypt. So it was an experience. I was with my well, my future wife at the time. We are doing it together. Um, it was an experience. So, Sandy, traveled with you for a couple of years then, doing the back backpacking? We kind of had a bit of this. We had a bit of a break, a gap year from each other there as well. Uh, she was living in Hong Kong as a journalist at the time. Uh, but she, when she came out, basically, whenever we've been in the same country, we've been together. Um, that's our that's – but but we needed – I think everyone needs a bit of a break to make sure it's the right thing, you know. So, but uh yeah so whenever we've been in the same country we've been together i think traveling as a young young adult um is probably the best investment you can make one of the best investments you can make yeah i think if you if you can as as a young adult if you can have if you have ten thousand dollars in your in your bank account that you've saved up and you can or 10 or maybe maybe 10 back then maybe you need like 15 these days right (laughs) and if you can go away for a year and not have to hit up your parents once um and live on that and, and i reckon that'll be the best learning curve you could you could uh make whether you have to forge your own path to work or or um you know it's just just be, be responsible be independent um I, I think that's a pretty good life uh life life learning skill right there because i've always had a bit of a entrepreneurial kind of thing i um i've always whenever i've traveled i like You'd see something that's different over in, in, that, that hasn't you haven't seen it here yet. I guess it's harder now with the internet, it's pretty instantaneous, right? But back then, I remember thinking, oh, this, uh, this would go great in Australia. I came back with all these ideas, you know. But anyway, I got back into quantifying. Kind of
1: <laughs> By the time he finished university, he was 25, an age where most of his peers were well into their careers. Armed with his degree, he hit the streets to look for a job.
0: And they said in the last year, I had to work within a firm. Um, And there was an ad on the university um, column saying cadet wanted at this company called Washington Brown. Because I felt so old, I I have to be honest, I went and stole all the ads. And so I was the only one that turned up at the interview. And then, <laughs> I know it's not right, uh, uh, but and, uh, I was I the only one. But I volunteered to work for a year because I'm so old. I felt I was so old. But now I look at a 25-year-old and go, "You weren't that old, Ty. You weren't that old." Um, but I, I, I volunteered to work for that year, uh, and then he, then he offered me a job when I, when I finished, um, finished the degree. So I've kind of only ever worked for one quantity surveying company, um, and now I own it. So it's so a bit like that, 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 that shaving ad dude, Victor, whatever his name was. I like the company that much, I bought it. You're the classic example.
1: <laughs> so, so, how long has it been? How long has it been then since you did that chip? Do you remember?
0: I, was, I guess I was 24 and I'm now 52. So, it's been like 28 years I've been at Washington Brown. That's why, that's why, like, we, that's part of the reason why we. I, I, I felt like we, you know, Bali was calling um, because I had been in the same job for so long, you know. But there's actually, the good thing about Washington Brown is there's a lot of, Familiness. I actually worked out the other day. The average length of employee time that's worked at Washington Brown is 15.2 years. Now, that's pretty uh, pretty unusual in this day and age uh, that people stay that long, but it's because we all get on, which is great.
1: Especially you're the owner <laughs> who wouldn't get along well with you.
0: <laughs> I can't get buddy rid of him, Tyrone.
1: Tyron Hyde's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. He dishes on a very famous friend.
0: It starts from Harry Triggerboss down. Harry Triggerboss my client. He's, uh, he's uh, been a client for 25 years.
1: His first investment property and why it made such an impact on him.
0: The first purchase I made was with a friend.
1: He explains why it's always handy to have a copy of a classic Australian movie on you.
0: So me and him got into a bit of bidding war. And I know he's quite wealthy. I know I'm going to lose this war.
1: And that's next time on Property Investory.